0: This is a story of a champ, like a world champ, and he's a real dickhead. Mm-hmm. And it's also the story about a, just a regular Joe who has got a dream. Mm. And the, they come from different worlds, and they clash. Oof. Okay? The world in which they clash is the world of competitive arcade video gaming.
1: Ooh, I didn't know that was a thing.
0: Yes. And the cast of characters is one of the most interesting that I have ever seen. It's also a documentary. So these characters are very real flesh and blood people. And the movie is The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. And it is about two men's rivalry to take top spot in the world record for Donkey Kong.
1: Well, Donkey Kong, without
0: question, is the hardest game. That's a tough machine. People think that the machine is possessed. The average Donkey Kong game doesn't last a minute. It's absolute brutality. The mysterious player from the West Coast, Steve Weep, is here. He could beat it if he... He'd have to have a really good game. You want to put a score up. You're competing against everybody in the world. It's not even about Donkey Kong anymore. He's
1: a very devious person. He works things out to his ends very well. well. Billy Mitchell always has a plan. Ah, world Record Headquarters is going to help you.
0: Well, maybe they'd like it if I lose. i got to try losing sometime.
1: No matter what I say, it draws controversy it's sort of like the abortion issue
0: All right, hello. Welcome back to K Have you seen? My name is Kyle.
1: I'm Cory. Cory,
0: how are you this evening?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you.
0: Great. I'm doing fantastic because I just recently rewatched a movie that I loved the first time I saw it. Haven't watched it in almost a decade and I loved it I think even more. Uh, this time around, and that is our movie for the evening: The King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters.
1: Oh wow! I, I mean, I'm really excited to dive into how you feel about this movie and you know where it fits in your life. But I was not expecting that like sterling recommendation. So uh, I,
0: I'm not exaggerating when I say that when I restarted rewatching this movie last week, uh, again for the first time in almost 10 years, I became giddy because it I had forgotten just how strong it starts and how it builds the momentum and just how it just powers on through. But before we, before I start really getting into detail here, as we normally do, since this is your first time watching this, would you be so kind as to give us a brief, objective summary of what this movie is about and the characters, the main characters involved?
1: Absolutely. So um, this movie basically follows uh, two main characters, both competitive arcade gamers. One is kind of the defending champ, Billy, who is set up basically as a straight asshole. Like, he is just a cocky jerk who's been defending this title since he was, I guess, a teenager? Since, since
0: the early 80s, yeah. Since the early 80s. Mm-hmm. So,
1: And he was born in 65, so like that, 20s, yeah. I guess he was... Mm-hmm. Yeah, teens to twenties. So he, um, yeah, he has been the the defending champion of the high score of both King of King Kong, Donkey nope. Kong, Donkey Kong, <laughs> shit, good try, Donkey Kong, and uh, Centipede, I believe. Yeah, um, and then it picks up about when was this made? 90s? This is a uh, two
0: thousand five. Two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: so it picks up almost twenty years later with um, Steve, who is basically the small town nice guy, kind of the. The white bread dude who just, you know, he was a star in high school, but never really made anything major of himself, Um, just got laid off from Boeing. And what he picks up in his spare time while he's unemployed is Donkey Kong. So he becomes really, really good at it and is trying to basically win back a couple different titles throughout the course of the movie. There's, I wouldn't say this movie has like one major plot that we're following there's just kind of a couple different checkpoints that you go through Hmm,
0: interesting interesting that you say that because um we can we'll definitely dive into that a little bit more and i think maybe you'll maybe you'll see it differently after like as the discussion goes on but Mm -hmm. but yeah that's the long and short of it i'll go ahead and read the rotten tomatoes summary obsession and the pursuit of excellence pushed diehard gamers to break world records on classic arcade games like hubert joust pac-man and donkey kong The film follows a middle school science teacher as he battles a hot sauce mogul for the Guinness World Record in the arcade classic Donkey Kong.
1: I really thought hot sauce mogul was like a thing, but no, he actually is a hot sauce mogul. I was like, hot sauce mogul. Yeah, he
0: inherited Mm -hmm. a hot sauce uh, empire. He calls uh, himself the
1: king of sauce of Florida. He calls himself the king of sauce of Florida.
0: Also in the film, Billy Mitchell, the longtime record holder for Donkey Kong, uh, is credited as the gamer of the century, which I have to assume is something that he insisted on being credited.
1: Oh yes, as. he self styles himself as a lot of things. One thing, actually, I wrote this down. He considers himself the most seasoned person in the hot sauce industry, which is a fantastic pun. That is That great. was That's, really good. Uh, props are
0: there due. Yeah. You know. Now, uh, as far as uh, Rotten Tomatoes is concerned, smash hit with critics and audiences uh, alike. It's got a 97% from critics, 93% from audience score. Um, wow yeah okay. uh so big big hit uh well this is actually one from one the one critic that i see that gave it a negative review Anne hornaday from the washington post said is anything more tiresome than watching people play video games mm-hmm. seth gordon's documentary the king of kong answers that question with a decisive yes watching a movie about people playing video games
1: see this uh, i knew this movie was going to attract a lot of video game hate like it's it kind of sets itself up to be like, "Oh, you don't think gaming is a sport?" Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's the current argument about this is around like e-gaming. Correct, yeah. So, I I think that's kind of an age-old mm-hmm. battle, I guess, and I don't it's it seemed a little like it, it was kind of encouraging that type of decisiveness or or it would be easy to write off any critics because you'd be like, "Oh, well, sure. you just don't take gaming seriously." And like that's just always gonna be kind of a point of contention. Now,
0: granted, uh, Kari, if you look over in, in our studio here, what what is it that you see where uh, where I'm indicating right here?
1: Uh, that's definitely an Xbox, mm-hmm. and below it a ps
0: It's a video Four. game system stacked on top of another video game <laughs> system.
1: So I
0: do play video games. I don't take video games seriously. I think competitive gaming is competitive. I don't consider it a sport in the strictest sense of the word. And yet I find myself so drawn to this particular movie. I think I want, my own background with this is just that I caught it in my early years in college. I think I was probably a college freshman at the time. And it was a time when I was kind of trying to expand my horizons in terms of movies. And I was not big into documentaries at the time, but I kept seeing references to this one because it came out in, I want to say 2007. And so that was, that was right before I started college. And so I just kept hearing about this through word of mouth if I had to watch it. And I was like, my God, this is one of the most unexpectedly narrative documentaries I've seen in a long time. And it manages to really kind of turn a very niche subject matter into a straightforward sports movie, like very much in the vein of Rocky or the Karate Kid, I would say. But before I spend too much time uh, getting into why I love this movie, that's how I first heard about it, and people like word of mouth is really the way I became intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. I want to get your impressions about your first watch through of this movie.
1: Um, I did not love this movie. Okay, I will start with that. I, I get it. I have no problem with competitive gaming as as an idea. I like part of my work one of the clients basically we have is an e-gaming league mm-hmm. and so i i went with a couple friends it's like kind of support some coworkers, and we went to one of the like finals of the of the game and i have had some experience with it in the past just people close to me being really into it um and watching it my impression was like there's as far as the audience is concerned, there's really not a lot of difference between watching competitive sports and watching competitive gaming mm. people. I think people have an issue just being like, Oh, well, like, you know, the the physical ability is part of like watching sports and stuff. And sure, absolutely. That's what you're watching for. But as far as an audience is concerned, you're, you're not doing anything either way you are sitting and watching. And so I think it's completely viable as far as entertainment either way. But, um, I don't it's interesting that you were so taken by the strong narrative because that's part of my issue I wasn't sure where the movie was going for Hmm. a long time we we hit some certain points where I was like okay this is kind of the major this is the thing this is the thing we're seeking this is the the climax of the movie and we go through it and then there's something else like I a lot of what a lot of the story is kind of given to us in people telling us the story you don't because of the nature of it, you don't really get to watch a lot of the big moments. You do some of the bigger moments, but even that felt a little bit staged. There was a lot of kind of like, oh, this person's calling right now. Ring, 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 hello? Okay, like. Oh,
0: okay, so we'll talk about those in a second, but like I'm intrigued by the, the idea that you think that that was totally staged. Now, but we can we can talk about that. We'll, we'll get to that in due time. Um, but let's let's kind of what do you think like because this movie starts with kind of an exploration of a very brief history of who the first superstars in ca- arcade gaming were mm-hmm. and how they first came together and the genesis of record keeping in competitive video gaming. I have no particular interest in that world, but I did find that part intriguing. I, I'm, I'm curious as to like what your thoughts were on that part about kind of like the development of this subculture that is highly competitive, but almost nobody outside of it knows anything about it.
1: Right. Um, I think, it, I wish there had been more archival resources that they could have tapped into. There's not a, they talk about it and you have a lot of talking heads explaining to you what it was. And there's that one clip, the, uh, the, I guess life magazine did a, a feature on them. And that's kind of where mm-hmm. the competitive gaming community came from and where their credibility kind of stemmed from. But we we only get kind of that one clip from it. We don't get a lot of background material to to show us that time. So I, I kind of felt like that was lacking. Like I wanted to see more of what they were talking about instead of having to talk about it.
0: Okay, because I, I I didn't particularly need any more of that myself. Only because I felt like we there was no story there. This because that that Life magazine or Time magazine or whatever it was they assembled the people who had already had the great records and then there was that guy Walter Day who decided to take it upon himself to be the international video game record keeper
1: amazing character he, he is, was probably my favorite character he's the, the whole. best he's
0: such a sweetheart and like so like such a uh, uh, an objective uh, judge. Yeah. Um. He doesn't care about people's personalities. All he, you know, we get a little glimpse into his personal life.
1: I was gonna say that's part of my favorite. Like, yes, he's an objective ref, all that, but like, you also the way they show him in his personal life is so telling. Mm-hmm. Like, he's literally just like sitting in a cold van playing a guitar, talking yeah. about like everyone thinks I'm the man because I have to make up the rules. But and you're just like, oh, what a, what a, sweet yeah. Like
0: uh, he's the kind of guy who I'm sure it it takes a personality like his to be able to manage any kind of, you know, it's like being the commissioner of the NFL in a Mm -hmm. a certain way where it's, people are going to hate your guts no matter what you do. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen on a daily basis. And it takes his kind of just zen, literally Mm -hmm. uh, uh, calm stoic demeanor to be able to do something like that, especially for 30 years.
1: Which uh, your comment about the NFL commissioner, I that's one of my favorite parts about this documentary. It's something that I think they did pretty well was Treating it seriously, like, this documentary, I feel like, you know, documentaries as a whole genre, you can kind of explore, there's just a lot of layers to them as as a piece. But this documentary is one of those that, like, the subject matter is important because it's treating it as important. Hmm. This does not matter to, it's not trying to make a, a bigger kind of cultural statement about it. It's not trying to relate it to anyone who doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It's like, there are there's a small group of people who this is their life mm-hmm. and we're going to treat it seriously because they think it's because it's serious to them not that it's you know so, i don't mean to make a comment on that but no, no. i and i i think it does that well mm-hmm. i there are parts this documentary definitely has a point of view and there are some certain moments where i'm like how seriously is it taking these people mm-hmm. like i how tongue-in-cheek is it actually treating this subject?
0: And uh, that leads me to my next question. At any point watching it, did you think, hold on a second, is this a mockumentary? Is this completely staged?
1: Mm, I mean, there were moments where it definitely felt staged. There wasn't, I never felt like it was fake, like this was all a joke. I do I think the documentary did a lot of like work to set up mm-hmm. people as certain characters to set up good guys and bad guys and yes. and you know to set up tension that I don't think was always necessarily hmm. 100% there but it it felt genuine it always felt genuine. So
0: Okay, that, it does feel earnest. genuine. It right. felt
1: earnest. I I don't know if the genuine is the right word. But. Right.
0: So we'll, we'll definitely talk a little bit more about, because I def, I 100% see this movie as a perfect version of the sports movie mm. formula in, in an unconventional application. And we'll definitely talk about that here in a second. But to understand why... I personally care about it, and why the super high ratings. I think that we first have to first get into the main characters, namely Steve Wiebe and mm-hmm. Billy Mitchell, um, and you know their backstories could not be more different. As you mentioned, Billy Mitchell has a long reputation from like the earliest days of arcade gaming as being one of the top video game players. Of all time. Specifically, whenever we talk about video games in this whole discussion, we're talking strictly about 80s arcade games. Right. And Billy Mitchell has had this reputation for so long, and his ego is so gigantic, and he is such a tool about it at all times. I will say this. He's a perfect villain. Yeah. He's a perfect villain because he's so hateable, but he's a quote machine.
1: Oh, yeah. Some of the
0: best quotes... I wrote down a couple of my favorites here where he says, on my phone says never surrender
1: oh my god and no, his little flip phone too yes could you yeah. even set backgrounds on those things Granted, right, it
0: was 2005 yeah. that was you know pretty legit yeah. uh there's a there's a, he says not even helen of troy got that much attention oh my he says,
1: god that was ridiculous oh ugh.
0: maybe maybe they'd like it if i lose maybe i should try losing sometimes oh my god. and he then was
1: legit like cobra kai like you don't get where i'm glad I, you said I that i've never got I don't think I ever got fully sucked into this movie, but by the end I was like, I fucking hate this guy. Like, my personal favorite. Die.
0: And this one made the trailer. It's one of my personal favorite Billy Mitchell quotes. No matter what I say, it draws controversy. Sort of like the abortion issue. Like the
1: fucking, oh my God. Yeah. He was, he was full of them. And clearly, I don't know if they, they puffed him up for the documentary. If they were like, all right, like from everything surreal, that I but- have heard,
0: all of the personalities are exactly true to life. Okay. Um. Now on the flip side, and he's, he's, as you mentioned again, he's a he, uh, hot sauce mogul in South Florida, um, and he's held this record for ages. Okay, so years go by; nobody really cares about competitive arcade gaming. All right, enter Steve Weeby. He's, I want to say, like mid late thirties. Just a, he's a he's a nice guy. He got laid off from Boeing, like you said, and he tells a story about how he saw he thought that he would just pick up uh, arcade gaming, and he, the way he's he's a middle school science teacher. He's a family man in Redmond, Washington. And middle school science teacher, I think, is, like, the perfect occupation for him because it's almost shorthand these days for, like, failure or settling in a weird way. I know, I...
1: I didn't know God, that trope, but well, yeah. I, I, I think like Walter school. White, you know?
0: Like, oh, okay, he's high yeah, school, yeah. but like, that's, they use that as like narrative shorthand for somebody who could. I, I don't know why that seems to be the one, because God bless middle school science teachers. You're doing the Lord's work over there. <laughs> but uh, it just, for some reason, in fiction, it seems like narrative shorthand for somebody who's not reaching their full potential for some reason.
1: Which also was one of the best quotes in the movie when they interview like some of his students. They go, wait, Donkey Kong? Yeah. All the science teachers here are weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, when the interview...
0: The first... One of the first things that you get from Steve Wiebe is that he says, like, he picked up Donkey Kong when he was laid off, and his quote is, what... He was thinking about, what can I do to feel like I have control of something? And that just, like, makes your heart break for this guy oh. on the first time you, you meet him. Yeah. And the way his family and his friends talk about him, it's like the guy can't catch a break. And it comes right after Billy Mitchell talks about how, like, he's been so lucky in his life, which he acknowledges mercifully, but he's, like, somewhere some some poor bastard's getting the screws put to him. And cut to Steve Wiebe in Redmond, Washington.
1: Which and- I want to come back to the... The dichotomy they set up between um, Steve and Billy, I yes. especially at the end. But we'll for sure, yeah, yes. we'll for sure get to that. But, but no, uh, Steve is absolutely like the most like you feel for him several times through the movie. They show him crying. There's yeah. like it's he is just a definite all around sweet guy. It's impossible not to feel like they
0: they talk about his background, how like he was you know he was the captain of the baseball team, but then like he choked during the state finals or something like that. And I was like, oh my god. So I, all this to say that what we're setting up here, whether I don't know if you consciously recognize this but what we are setting up here is a sports movie where the jock and nerd roles are completely reversed Mm. you've got the super nerd competitive video gamer who is like the king douchebag jock Mm -hmm. and you've got the middle school science teacher who is the literal athlete Mm -hmm. and he is like the mild-mannered underdog nerd in this in this world, mm-hmm. um, and when he enters the world of the competitive video gaming, it's like he's stepping into a different dimension, practically and again steve's quotes are all just like very sad even though he seems like a very nice guy but he says stuff that just you know they come from the heart and from bad experience he's like you just get disappointed so many times you just kind of want to throw your hands up and go well let's move on to the next thing um which the context for that is also like what i think gets my blood boiling when i watch this movie which we shall get to shortly but yeah so these two guys like you you mentioned that uh you had an idea about like how they uh the dichotomy between these two. I want you to kind of get into that if you if you um, would please.
1: Well, I think I the ending, the resolution of this is basically entirely based on that. It, actually, the opening as well, which I had some questions about. I always pay attention like a documentary how it opens is usually pretty telling for how where they're going to go. Mm-hmm. Um the so how they open though is uh Billy has a quote about like the essence of it being There's fun, but to be the world champion, you have to make a sacrifice. So he's saying like, okay, I sacrificed all these things. Like you don't, you don't get everything if you want to be up there and be number one.
0: Which they never really talk about what Billy actually sacrificed at any point in his life.
1: That's what, I mean, that was my first kind of issue is like, okay, so what is the sacrifice here? We never really talk about, I Mm -hmm. I feel like the movie kind of tries to get it and the resolution, it kind of implies that there was a sacrifice, but we never get into it and I don't think it's. Actually, a, not... a real sacrifice. So the what? end. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the ending basically, I feel like they're setting up the fact that that Steve has a family that loves him. Mm-hmm. He's the thing that is most important, which is like you know we've all culturally agreed as family and love and like whatever. Billy has no, not Billy. Steve has that. Yes. And that's how they end the movie with like him with his kids, him with his wife, his son, and him are having this like nice moment, all that stuff. So it seems like it seems like it's implying that Billy gave up family, but he has a he wife. Has,
0: he has he a family says, in real life. Billy Mitchell yeah, has a family in real life. Yeah. Yes. And
1: he implies that he has kids. They yeah. This is another thing that felt a little manufactured. They really don't bring in Billy's family. They never bring in his kids if sure. he has them. They don't bring in his wife until the very end. Right.
0: I for which by the way, side note, uh I forgot that he was married. And so yeah. when they brought in his wife, I was like, he's
1: married? Right. And I feel like that's, I uh, I don't think they resolved that. Like, they were trying to build a narrative where he doesn't have a family, he doesn't have a life outside of it, See, that's but he does. I so didn't think, how do you do
0: that? I didn't think any of that was relevant to the narrative here. Because, like, to me, okay, when you watch Rocky, mm-hmm. is Apollo Creed's uh, girlfriend relevant to the story in any way?
1: She is not Creed, but... Correct,
0: I, but you, you you really can't humanize your villain too much.
1: True, but this is... We don't follow Apollo through the whole movie in the same way. Like, we have really set up these two as mm-hmm. equal... Not protagonists, but equal main characters, at least. Apollo is just a villain. Apollo is an obstacle. Sure. Billy is, is a character.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Like, rewind, back up. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into this a lot, I assume, is that the idea, I keep talking about it as a sports movie, and the two key examples that I think it follows are The Karate Kid mm-hmm. and Rocky.
1: <laughs> Not least of all because it uses uh, the best around like, and over and over. They
0: <laughs> legitimately use Eye of the Tiger for a yes. training montage. Yes. So yes, Rocky 3 and uh, Karate Kid. Yeah. How
1: did they get the rights to those I don't know. Uh, so this seems very, very low budget.
0: It, 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 it and, does. Yeah. But anyhow, so... Let's track the, the the basic beats of this story here. Let me see if I can find this here. I do think this could have been a 30 for 30 on ESPN, personally. And it follows, sure. like... Okay, so you've got the introduction of your villain as the, as the established champion. Mm-hmm. Then you've got this nobody underdog who trains, and he's got no formal training. He's just, like, self-taught, and he just happens to be a prodigy. And he beats the record at home. Doesn't count. That's, like the fight in Juvenile Hall at the very beginning of Creed, Mm -hmm. where he's just scrapping. Mm -hmm. Then you've got him setting the record over at Fun Spot. That's kind of like the first fight that uh, uh, Donnie in Creed does, like the long take fight in the Mm -hmm. gym. That's his next stepping stone fight. So that one is establishing him within the world Mm -hmm. of these competitors after officially getting a little bit of formal training. Then he gets his first beat down by Billy's tape, which maybe he cheated, Maybe he didn't. Mm-hmm. But he got beat by the tape. So that's his first defeat. And then he takes a long time to recover from that. Mm-hmm. And then he gets the call to go to the big show. And that's his chance at redemption. He goes to the tournament. He goes to the big game. Get the honest-to-God training sequence with uh, 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 with the eye of the tiger. Like I said, I smiled <laughs> so big when that happened. <laughs> the,
1: the use of music in this movie was Is really good. That was another positive. Point. The um, the song at the end that they keep going back to. Uh, I wrote it down somewhere. The Everybody Knows. Well, oh, I love like- it. The Leonard
0: Cohen song. Yeah.
1: Ooh, that was great. That That was was a great great villain song. song. That was a perfect theme. But
0: anyway, so then he goes to the big tournament and he plays his heart out and he has the one on one. He doesn't. It wasn't quite perfect because he didn't actually get to go head to head against Billy live, but he does meet Billy in person, and Billy just like craps on him in person. Like when he walks in with his wife, he's like, Some people I don't want to spend too much time around. Ugh! Such Um, an asshole. And then it's like you see him, you, you see Walter the referee, go up to Steve and say, like, this is your last start, and he doesn't win. He does not beat the record for the Guinness people. So that is You know, we're crossing movies here, but basically you've got these stepping stones, and then you've got this is very like Joseph Campbell hero's journey stuff in this classic, like I said, in like Rocky or Creed, Karate Kid, whatever, and then he doesn't win, but he he earns the respect of the community just like at the end of rocky he loses but he wins over the crowd and so that scene at the end of king of kong where walter calls steve up in front of everybody and uh i'm just gonna pull up the line here he says he says you are a member of the family now um and everybody claps for him that is like the moment at the end where the hero doesn't win but he gets he he proved himself
1: yes um like in cars
0: like in all of these sports movies, <laughs> these competition movies. And, you know, it's, it's not the first movie that is not a sports movie that takes the same co- uh, 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 construct. Like, Top Gun is the most famous one, I think, because that's a sports movie masquerading as a military movie. Mm-hmm. No military pilot program is that vindictive and competitive. <laughs> like, they all are... They're team, they're team players, but that doesn't mm. make a good story. It, is
1: this not a sports movie, though? I would... I,
0: I don't personally think officially that I would call this a sports movie because I don't consider arcade gaming to be a sport in the strictest sense.
1: Sports must in- involve physical activity?
0: I would say yes, I personally.
1: Okay. See, that's... I think the documentary makers might agree with you. And I don't... I don't... That was part of my problem, too. I think they... Uh, you either either it is or it isn't. Either this is a sport and you're going to make a sports movie about mm-hmm. it, or it's not, and you have to kind of acknowledge that it's not. I think it went back and forth a couple times. Well, I There's mean, one moment mm-hmm. where it had it quoted um, one of Billy's self named proteges, whatever that like skeevy guy who was like hanging out over mm-hmm. uh, Steve's shoulder. He was rude. Uh, um, Brian Q. Brian Cue. Q. Um, he said something about like, well, you know, this is a sport. It's it's not like doing a decathlon or whatever Mm -hmm. but you know it's still rigorous whatever cut to b-roll of him like running up the stairs (laughs) and I was like that seems that seems tongue in cheek there's a lot
0: of quirky characters in this movie though I mean like these people let's be not to be not to sound like a real jerk about it but quite honestly a lot of these people very evidently do not have awesome social skills mm-hmm. they don't have awesome like behavioral skills in a, I, I don't know really a nice way to put that but it's like they're not all normal people um, they're, they're
1: kind of the, a lot of them are the stereotypical kind of quieter like mm-hmm. nerd or geek types yes and yeah not the like toned jock whatever socially mm-hmm. totally adept and stuff and I think there were times where the documentary kind of I think leaned into that and I was like I don't know. I, uh, it, it's hard to know how to feel as the audience if you're going to kind of flip that back it, and
0: that's, forth. It's it's very interesting that you keep saying that because like I don't I never had any issues with like personally like watching this. I don't think I ever had any issues with like wondering how to feel. Like I I kind of took these people as they were. I didn't really look at them as being like because the documentary does look at them as like being unusual people but it also establishes their world in the context of this movie as being like the norm and steve is the out because it, it is also a fish out of water movie because steve has to like learn in a lot of ways like how to adapt to the people that he's now encountering and he does it. he takes it in stride i think that being a middle school teacher kind of teaches you how to deal with unusual people but and he
1: also i i think part of this key it kind of is his tribe like he's not it's not like he's coming in and he was totally socially adept and you right. know cool and whatever right. coming into it like he's he's quieter and he's yeah. they his friends and family describe him as as ocd and mm-hmm. other like you know they they make it clear that he's not always socially mm-hmm. comfortable and he's not always kind of going with the flow easy breezy mm-hmm. so
0: I did also want to get into like you know we talked about uh, Steve Wiebe and Billy Mitchell, and we talked about um, Walter Day, the uh, record keeper, the scorekeeper, who was sort of... Billy works for him as a like score verifier uh, for the Twin Galaxies right. site. And so, in a lot of ways, uh, Walter is sort of like Billy's mentor, more or less. That's like his role in the story. If we're looking at this in the same way we'd look at a sports movie, mm-hmm. he is like the mentor. So, Walter is this guy who is just like universally beloved, and he's got this protege who is universally reviled. Mm-hmm. And we've got Steve Wiebe, who is essentially self taught, but at the same time, he's got an, a mentor character as well. Do you remember this guy, Roy? Mr. Awesome oh, Schilt.
1: yeah. Just when you grubs. thought that Billy
0: Mitchell was like the most unpleasant person you could imagine, in comes this character. Uh, how would you describe Mr. Roy, Mr. Awesome Schilt? Uh, Ooh, remember-
1: let me let me see real quick, because I looked this movie up on Wikipedia afterwards uh-huh. to just like make sure I got all the main points, and the way they described him was like pretty perfect. He's, I mean, he's skeezy, number one. Extremely.
0: Mr. Awesome's Guide to Girls was one of the most unpleasant uh, 10-second clips I think I've ever witnessed in my life. And
1: I don't, I wish I would have written down the quote, but whatever he says that they use as a quote there is, it's something about like, girls don't want to sleep with you if you respect them too much. Yeah, something something along those lines. just completely like. Except
0: he amped (laughs) up the douchiness by doing it as like an impression of like the movie Patton. Where he's dressed like an army general or something like that. I was like, eat shit, man. Come on. He was
1: nasty. He was
0: gross. Uh, But he had a bizarre connection to Steve where he had basically... Because he had a lifetime uh, feud with Billy Mitchell. So, like, these two guys... Those two guys deserved each other. But Roy Schilt had been kind of blacklisted by that community for whatever reason. And he just wanted to see Billy Mitchell go down. And so he was helping... Uh, Steve buy new uh, video game or uh, arcade game equipment, and that brought a lot of suspicion to Steve. So it was kind of an interesting like good guy bad guy pairings on both sides of this feud, where you've got one of the other former uh, members of like that clique of video gamers. Had defected and now he was basically uh, coaching the competition more or less. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a really interesting dynamic. It was like I I can't think of a good uh, parallel to that I've ever seen before, where you've got like the a good guy mentoring a bad guy and a bad guy mentoring a good guy. I don't think I've ever seen that before because you always got like Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, and you've got the Cobra Kai guys. It's like good good teaches good, bad teaches bad. You don't really get that flip flopped.
1: Right. That's true. And yeah, it it's that is definitely an interesting twist and i think it wasn't interesting like how much do people know because he gets basically uh steve basically gets disqualified with his original score because of the board that Roy roichelle gave him which they were like "Uh, this guy and billy don't get along so we can't be sure he didn't tamper with it just to get at billy so they disqualify a score and on one side we have uh uh Steve saying, well, like, I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know that this was happening. I Why would <laughs> I have looked deeper into that?
0: And it's never really established that the board had been tampered with. It's right. just, like, a possibility, which is legit. I mean, I understand why they had to do that.
1: And that's the other side. So then at the other side, you have Walter, who's apparently this good guy who's disqualifying the score mm-hmm. of someone who potentially could be honest based on, you mm-hmm. know, possibly his right. relationship with... Billy. So, yeah, it is, it complicates kind of the good guy, bad guy yeah. dynamic for sure. Did you
0: happen to find the quote? Because I'm very curious about it. It actually wasn't that good, oh, but okay. it was a,
1: um, what does he call it? A uh, self-proclaimed fitness guru and pickup artist. Uh-huh. And anyone who's a self-proclaimed pickup artist, like, fuck yourself. That's awful.
0: So they showed that one photo of him from the 80s, like that promo photo of him where he was like basically knit. I, I want to, th- I have to assume that his head was photoshopped on no, that one. he photoshopped himself
1: on Without all of those photos. It was just, like, like, get a life. Anyone who's photoshopping themselves on like, tough <laughs> dudes with naked girls, like I think I audibly said. I think when that your choices when
0: that came up on screen, I think I audibly said, "Impossible, no way, impossible, not that, Inconceivable. not not true, no way." Um, no, but anyway, so. all that to say that so Steve's home score was disqualified because it was too questionable, and so they said, "Okay, no, you got to come to this fun spot place, and you got to do that." Uh, beat it there, and so he beats the record. Billy Mitchell sends a tape of him that he's apparently just had in his back pocket for years that has static over the scoreboard, so you can't really tell. There's a lot of questions about yeah. it, but and because uh, before that happens, uh, when Steve just has his his home score, um, there's a Billy has a line where he's like, "If Tiger Woods goes out and golfs a 59, big deal. But if he hits a 59 at Augusta, that's what really counts." Which is like, okay, that's fine. But then he pulls this stunt where like Steve. Um, who's being monitored by Billy's flunkies when like uh, it beats the record. Go ahead.
1: Was it a power move that he wasn't actually showing up to these places? Because he was like... Oh, 100% it was a power move. We would have move. all this stuff going on at Fun Spot, at Billy's restaurant, at all this stuff, and cut to Billy like on his couch doing nothing?
0: I'm actually 50-50 if it was a power move or if he was legitimately... If his ego was just that fragile yeah. that he couldn't stand... He couldn't do... He couldn't face the possibility that somebody could be better than him. And he pulls, He produces this tape, which is if him make breaking a million, which seems very fishy to me. Yeah. And uh... Steve comments on that. He's like, kind of ironic that he was the guy who pushed for live scores all the time. And now here I am at Fun Spot, busting my ass to get a live score. And he just sends in tape scores now and gets the record. Yeah. Very true.
1: Yep. Were um, we still using tapes in 2005?
0: Definitely. Okay. Uh, I think so. All right. Um, all right. All right. Possibly because, like, analog is harder to manipulate.
1: I don't
0: know. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay. I, I don't know what. Okay. I, I'm sure Walter Day has some kind of like. Well, oh shit. I mean, like we didn't even talk about that guy Robert Murchak, who's like the he's the, the guy with like the Coke bottle glasses, who was like showing off. Is like I got 200 tapes right here. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Oh, yeah. I and he's him like to. He's like most people think that he's like most people think of a breaking a world record as a huge thing. I, I see multiple world records broken every single day. And I was like, man, I would not want to be that what guy. What a dude.
1: He was, he was so serious. Yeah. And his accent was great. He was a good, another good character. <laughs> he
0: was awesome. Okay, so I did want to kind of get back to one thing that I mentioned briefly earlier, like the reversal of the traditional jocks versus nerds narrative. Mm. You know, and again, you've got these atypical roles where you've got the superstar asshole is like this video game nerd versus like the underdog is a sensitive down on his luck ex-jock. And I, I kind of want to get more about how you saw that if that was something that you latched onto because that's i I feel like to me that is one of the key points in setting up this story
1: well i think if you treat this as a sport then billy is straight down the middle a a jock billy is the all-star quarterback and steve is you know the underdog second string who's just trying Mm -hmm. to make his way like I think it's just kind of the inherent irony in treating video games as a sport this mm-hmm. is something that for a long time common culture has said like nah, this is what the nerds do this is not this is not the way you make friends this is not the way mm-hmm. you get popularity this isn't the way you kind of make your name traditional sports are that but if we start seeing these as as actual sports as competitive entertainment then that's just that's what you're left with that's the irony of like well the the script is the script is flipped you're mm-hmm. you are now saying like all right the people who have busted their ass to be the best at this were once the people that we said like oh nerd mm-hmm. shove them in their lockers or whatever you did in the 80s <laughs> and now they're you know they can be the top of their game they can be in esports they can be traveling the world with athletes visas making millions of dollars mm-hmm. by sitting at a desk and and playing a game.
0: Mm-hmm. And as an extension of that, I was kind of curious because Billy's alpha status within this subculture fascinates me. Do people just want to be assholes? Like, is that just a human reaction to perceived uh, power or lack thereof? Like, does Billy act the way he does... Because that's what being successful does to some people? Is it because he thinks that's how successful people are supposed to or deserve to act? Is it just a power fantasy uh, rooted in insecurity and perceived victimization? Are some people like Billy just assholes? Or is it some combination of all that?
1: I mean, I it's actually interesting. This is something that has bothered. It's a pet peeve of mine. And someone, um, Travis McElroy, I don't know if you follow the McElroy mm-hmm. brothers at all. Big podcasters. Was it the Property Brothers? Uh, no, <laughs> no oh. they not the Property Brothers. Um,
0: the they're no, the they're no. other
1: podcasters. But he tweeted something about this. But it's something that I've yeah has has bothered me for a long time. I think it's just a it's a thing. It's some people craft this persona of like I'm an asshole. I tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. I like and that's you know the people who will tell you that they are an asshole and you're like all right, well yeah doesn't, doesn't give you free license to do whatever you want. Like, that's just not, there are certain people that they're, that is a, that is what they will tell you about themselves, that they are, they're douchebag, they're honest, they're whatever, they're not going to like soften anything. They don't care if people don't like them. And honestly, I think most of the time it's a, it's totally to protect their ego. It's because they're sensitive and they do care what people think about them, but think that people will like them because... They tell it like it is, or whatever, and it's I, gross. And I, I, don't know, I, I don't
0: care. I, I recognize that persona as well. I I don't know that I would think of Billy Mitchell in that way. I, I kind of see him more as like the type of person who feels like he his status in his world has gone unchallenged for so long that he is just he has gotten away with this kind of uh, behavior and persona. Like it, I, I didn't get any impression that he had any self awareness that he was doing this as like that he was acting in a particular way. Like I, I, I see, I understand the type of personality that you just described and I see it unfortunately quite often. Um, I don't know if that says, I don't know that he would brag about being an asshole. I think he would be the type of person to be like, well, you know, that's just, you know, and I'm, I'm not being, <laughs> I'm not being me. And this is just a, uh, you know, some people just can't handle the competition.
1: I think that's exactly it though. He's too, it's, It's clear that his ego is too fragile, and then he's ready with all these, like, quotes that make him sound like he is just that important. That makes me think, like, no, that's exactly – that is exactly what people do to protect a fragile ego is pretend like they don't give a shit. So – Yeah, and (sighs) – I think he's – I think he's exactly one of those people.
0: There's also the idea of, like, you know – I don't know what he was like prior to arcade games entering his life because he was not like seven when he beat the Donkey Kong record in like the early... Like Donkey Kong was introduced in 81. Mm. So for most of his life, arcade games were not a part of his life. Um, And based on just his personality, I have to assume that he was kind of like just a nerdy kid when he was growing up. And people who perceive themselves as lacking power or being in a, uh, a persecuted position, whether that's actually the case or not, if they perceive themselves that way, seems to like seem to frequently share the same kind of bizarre power fantasy of being a shithead with no repercussions. Uh, and I guess because that's the way they perceive the people who they think are in power when they are not, uh, often because when you're not in power, your encounters with power are being the victim of it. In your one on one encounters with it, I guess. But, like, being powerful becomes permanently tied to being a bad person in their minds. In extreme cases, you've got, like, the Columbine kids. You know what I mean? Mm and the the Nazi movement in Germany, you know? Very
1: the, extreme cases. Yeah, extreme
0: cases. But, I mean, that's the same idea of, like, perceiving that somebody else is more powerful than you for reasons that they don't deserve or whatever. And a lot of, I mean, I feel like teenage boys, for whatever reason, when they're dealing with hormones, often develop, like, interest in that kind of, like, extreme... Uh, uh, exercises of power for whatever reason and in like you know like I said in very bad cases it might end up in like the Columbine situation yeah but like but that's but in far less dire extents I feel like that's a common experience among like teenage boys which weird Billy Mitchell was at that age when he became the best Donkey Kong player in the world yeah and he became un he was the unchallenged like heavyweight champion of the world in this thing which he became as a nerdy teenager I have to feel like having that be unchecked for the rest of his life must have been what made him this way I can't imagine he was born this way but he must I, I feel like that was what it was it was like becoming the best in the world at something when he was 18, Mm -hmm. had to have a massive impact on his, like, developing psyche, you know what I mean? And the
1: best in the world and something that, you know, most of the people that you're going to encounter when you're 18, when you don't really have that much control over your social circle, is, are not really going to value it, like, you know, that's, if you're growing up in the 80s, if the movies are an accurate depiction, (laughs) then you're not really going to get a lot of credit for being the best in that, you're still going to get kind of a lot of flack from your peers, so... Mm -hmm. You know, working that hard and achieving that much and then having it still be something that's thought of as, as pretty nerdy and pretty mm-hmm. counterculture is mm-hmm. Yeah, I that could potentially mess you up.
0: And I, I feel like there's a as much as I believe that Billy Mitchell was just an asshole no matter what, I do feel like he was particularly hard on Steve Weeby, partly because not only was he challenging his throne but this is an interloper he's an outsider he's not even one of us he's just some dork from a middle school classroom who thinks he's gonna come and take my crown no way absolutely like i cannot imagine the complex cocktail of emotions that that must have like developed that uh, quite frankly, I don't think Billy Mitchell ever learned how to cope with.
1: Yeah, apparently not, because he was a real jerk. He was just really, really mean. The The idea that like teenage boys are so obsessed with power and, and imbalances of power mm-hmm. is really interesting because they're the ones kind of being conditioned to have the most potential power. Like, they are the ones that are going to grow up and have the power. The ones that are actually probably not are not quite, aren't stereotypically obsessed with, you know?
0: So I think you're right. And my response to that would be when you are told indirectly or directly, you should be in power and you're not. That's gotta be a hard thing to process.
1: Interesting. You know what I mean? And so it's
0: like, well, what am I doing wrong? If I'm supposed to be on, if I'm supposed to be the powerful person in, like
1: Like the world is mine. I mean, yeah, but yeah, it's
0: like, if you, yeah, exactly. If it's like the world, people keep telling me like, these are the best years of your lives. The world's at your fingertips. You can do anything you want. Well, that's not what I'm seeing in reality. What's mm-hmm. wrong? Mm-hmm. So people who feel like they don't have the amount of power that they deserve for whatever reason, yeah. seize it.
1: No, that's true. I mean, it's the whole idea of like toxic masculinity. I think 100%. Is, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. That makes sense to me.
0: Um, but anyway, yeah, that's a, uh, that's a, that's a thing. Um, that a
1: thing. Now I,
0: I ha- you, you asked me earlier, and I'm going to bring it up now just because I feel like it's it's relevant. You asked me earlier, like, who made this movie and why?
1: Yeah. I think with the documentary, you really have to... That's, like, my number one question is, why did someone think this was worth a movie? Mm-hmm. Especially this, where, like I said, this is a microcosm. This is not... Yeah. The documentary really has no interest in relating this to any larger culture that will apply to everyone.
0: Ooh, au contraire. I think that by imitating the sports movie, the traditional sports movie format, it tries tries to draw that parallel between competitive gaming and the sports culture that more people are familiar with. Maybe. Now, I... You having a client that's an e-gaming uh, facilitator or, or something? Um, it's
1: e-league. Yeah. yeah, we do e-league.
0: Anyway, so you have a client, so you've got more familiarity with that world, I think, than in the modern sense than most people. Um, which, by the way, I another thing I found fascinating was like this was not modern e-gaming. This was all like the whole world was like all people that are the best in the world at games that have been around for thirty years, right. not Overwatch. You right.
1: know, and there's really no potential for. It can only scale so large. It's a one person and a game. You can mm-hmm. follow it because you're interested, but there's no there's no teams, there's no mm-hmm. really ability for spectators. You can you can, you can cram like six
0: or seven you can, right. you can, you can be, be like, like you can be like brian q and get everybody in fun spot to go oh watch steve God. weeby uh, we're gonna have a kill sc- no he was trying to psych him out he's like oh we're gonna have a kill screen in a few minutes uh hopefully the pressure hopefully steve doesn't steve weeb doesn't crack under the pressure i also loved how like everybody mispronounced his last name yeah, until the very end weeb. But Steve. and weeb. then
1: what oh then the the jerk the guy who faked his score was like as he, as Steve was playing, he was like, so is it, like, Weeby or Weeb or, like, yeah. and he's, like, trying to talk to him. Like, oh, yeah. Assholes. Steve
0: Sanders, the lawyer, was, uh, like, the perfect, like, wormy flunky. And yeah. the part at the end where, like, he says, like, one nice thing about, uh, about Steve Weeby. And, and Billy and gets the equivalent of, the death I do stare. not
1: know her. Like, it's, uh, Yeah. He just looks at bullshit. him and
0: it was, like, the worst thing he could have. Anyway.
1: It's like, I don't think I can comment on it because I don't know that person. Or yeah, You're yeah. Like, Ugh. But
0: he also uh, stares at Sanders when yep. Sanders says that one nice thing. is like, yeah, he's an okay guy. He is guy. the
1: Regina George. So like, yeah, he's
0: an okay guy. And then just yeah, death stare. Anyway, so you asked me who made this movie and why. Who made this movie is uh, Seth Gordon. Um, that's the director. And he did an interview with IndieWire a couple of years ago. And one of the questions I asked him was, how did the idea for King of Kong come about? And he says, quote... The comic Kong is a documentary about the race, blah, blah, blah. I was familiar with the underground classic arcade scene because I am a geek, and the arcade where much of the film takes place, Fun Spot in New Hampshire, is one of my favorite places on Earth. I knew that there were great stories in the classic arcade world that we would stumble upon one with so many unexpected twists and turns was a matter of fortunate timing and the extraordinary personalities in front of the camera. He goes on. The producer, Ed Cunningham, and I set out to make a sports film where the sport was a classic arcade title. We studied other sports documentaries like Pumping Iron in our preparation for editorial. We tend to shy away from a doc style with narration and also the kind of docs where the filmmakers are intentionally in front of the camera, so we watched the verite masters, uh, like D.A. Pennebacher, etc. As the film's uh, story evolved, we had to let go of our initial expectations for the arc and simply hang on for the ride. We felt increasingly paranoid that the whole endeavor was a waste of time, but at the end of production, we looked back and the previous 15 months and 350 hours of footage began to connect the dots and found that the story had emerged it was that had emerged was not unlike the traditional narrative structure of a three-act Hollywood film. Patience and perseverance were probably the most valuable assets throughout, end quote. So, your point about it being constructed, it seems like they were as surprised as you are at how tightly this fit a traditional narrative structure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You're not convinced, I can tell. No,
1: I still feel like they were chasing the story a little bit. Things were happening... And they were trying to cover them instead Hmm. of being there for the moment. Interesting. That is how I felt.
0: I kind of see your point, although I definitely don't think that the moments are going to be as interesting in an arcade cabinet as they would be on, say, a football field or a tennis uh, court.
1: True. You know what I mean? Yeah. So
0: it's like you don't have those highlight reels to go and give you like natural drama. So it's like all the -the off-the-court drama that this movie explores is those are the moments.
1: Right. But even like we're talking about kind of the mentor-mentee dynamics, we never really see those people interact with each other. We don't. We don't. We have Steve and um that douchebag uh talking about their relationship. Awesome. Mr. Awesome. <laughs> talking about their relationship. We have Walter and Billy talking a little bit about their relationship. We never see their relationship. It's like... And I think there's a lot of moments like that where people are just, they're telling us well, it they're is not, of, we never get to see granted, it. Granted,
0: that is how it is in a lot of history documentaries. You know what I mean? Like, sure. Which, in a lot of ways, this is as much a history documentary as it is a documentary about an ongoing competition. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... its The the newcomer Steve Wiebe is stepping into this long-term rivalry. You know what I mean? And he, he's stepping into a world he does not fully understand. This is almost like if you had... I, I couldn't even fabricate. I, I can't come up with another good example. Like, this is such, like, a unique... It is so familiar in its structure, but brings so many unique elements to it that I can't really come up with a good parallel from real documentaries. But it's almost like if you had a documentary about, like, the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, and you had a bunch of, like, the old-timers talking about, like, the games from, like, back in the 80s or whatever about how they like why they hate each other and this kind of thing and you have like some old like some old timer from like the Red Sox who was coaching this new upstart like mentoring this new upstart um and he was going head to head against the Yankees or whatever you know it's, it's that kind of thing you know yeah, what i mean
1: but even in that case you would have the archival footage of old you games would, you, you would you would see what they were talking about and they could explain to you the moments you were watching we never watched those moments
0: I'm curious, like, what uh, what moments, like, what kind of moments would you want to see more of? Like, uh, what would be, because I could speculate, but I'm just curious as to, like, what you thought was missing from this story. Like, archival footage of what, per se?
1: I mean, I think you make a good point about the interesting kind of dynamics between the mentors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I would have wanted to see that. I would have wanted to see the interaction, see the kind of, you know... The discussion of things leading up to the moments—we're kind of learning about those moments long after they've actually mm-hmm. happened.
0: Um, to be fair, though, I don't think there is footage of any of those things. You know what I mean? I mean no, there's that's, not. And it, that's because, the
1: documentary like the documentary came in too late.
0: There are limits to like documentary format. Like you can't have a camera everywhere, but I think it's amazing how much this camera crew did capture in this particular at this moment in time because it does have a lot of history that's being brought into the present but the stuff that's happening in the present i'm amazed by how much they actually got on tape
1: right they caught they they caught some moments whether those moments were real or they staged them but they there were some moments towards the end but there a lot of i felt like a lot of building the story of why we care about it we didn't see that they had to hmm. tell us and i think that was my problem i didn't I didn't connect to the stakes because everyone's just telling you kind of how to feel or who people are or whatever.
0: So that's interesting. I, I personally don't ever have a, do- a problem with documentaries where you've got people that have interesting stories and they're just telling those stories. You know what I mean? Like documentaries, because it's, it's rare that you get documentaries that actually show the actions occurring in real time. Like one documentary that I would like to bring at some point in the future is uh, it's called Cocaine Cowboys, and it deals with like the, the cocaine wars in the 80s in, in Miami. There's no primary footage, it's all it's talking head interviews, and the archival footage is all from like police evidence videos or news broadcasts, which always show up after the fact. Very much in a similar way that the history segment of this documentary is set up. But the stories that are being told are fascinating and like they're all they're interconnected in a way that they weave the full story and so much in the same way that the archival doc so i don't know like would you be more interested if the documentary if this particular documentary was just about like the scene in the 80s with like the competitive arcade gaming developing or i because personally i think that would be much less interesting Mm -hmm. to me as an individual
1: possibly i maybe i don't know i i think there was it was going a lot of different directions there was a lot of ground it was trying to cover so maybe if it would have chosen one of those mm-hmm. and and really explored it and given us kind of the foundation for it i just yeah i think i think this would have helped with like this would have been served well by either a really really good editor who can mm. who can really suss out that story or just yeah more more kind of focus on where the story it was trying to tell
0: hmm that's fascinating cuz i you know i don't want to beat a dead horse on this but that's it's so interesting to me that this is how you like you interpreted the film where like i see none of those problems mm-hmm. like i i don't I, i'm not even going to try to hand wave them away i don't even i don't even see those problems like okay. I, for whatever reason it's like i see this movie and this is like I would make this a companion piece to Rocky or the Karate Kid, frankly. Like, I, cause I, I feel like they're so similar. And they, I, they both suck me in in the same way because you have this super sympathetic protagonist, this very obnoxious, hateable antagonist, and the world in which they inhabit of like competition that the majority of people don't necessarily care about the minutia of and you got the protagonist and you learn about his family and you learn about the people that are supporting him and about the tough breaks that he's had and what he's got to overcome and this that and the other thing um, I don't know like that just it, it it's like magnetic to me I don't know mm-hmm. it it all adds up and like the story beats in this movie they add up for me mm-hmm. I thought the pacing was great I thought the editing was, was really great it just I don't know. This is such an interesting case study of like sometimes it clicks and sometimes it doesn't.
1: Yeah. Speaking though of sympathetic yes, please. I just I feel like the person in this documentary who is our audience surrogate basically is Do you like, do you have an idea in your head? Uh
0: probably either Probably a combination of Steve's wife Nicole mm-hmm. or his friend Mike Thompson.
1: Actually, that's exactly who I was thinking. But mostly Nicole, because we see most of her. So yes. if, if she is the audience surrogate, I'm interested, how would you feel if this was your if you were the wife in this situation?
0: So uh, she makes no bones about it early on that she was kind of annoyed that he was spending so much time playing video games, which I completely understand. And I actually put that in my notes earlier on about how, like, what's an acceptable sacrifice to be the best at something so trivial? Mm-hmm. But I feel as though she is the type of person you would want to have in your life, no matter who you are or what you do, in the sense that she doesn't get it, but she, number one, understands it's important to you mm-hmm. to be able to achieve a goal that you have worked hard for, mm-hmm. regardless of what that is. Um, and two, wants him to be treated fairly like in the ant toward the end she cries during an interview not because he didn't win but because she felt like he he she recognized i i wouldn't say that it was just her opinion i think she recognized that like everybody else did that he was getting treated super unfairly right. and like he and almost, and like he was being bullied he was being bullied by Billy Mitchell mm-hmm. and nobody outright says that in the movie but it's very obvious like so what would I do if I was in her situation? I probably especially, would.
1: Especially, especially because I feel like this is always, it's kind of the stereotypical wife role yep. of like, yep. 100%. all right, well, hair hairbrained antics of my husband, I'm going to support him no matter what, mm-hmm. but I don't totally get it. And I, I I have no issue with that. I wasn't like, oh, this is, of course, they're going to put the woman like that. But I am kind of curious of like, if this was your life, I what, would, what if I, would, if I was in her
0: position, you? I would like to think that I would be as understanding and, as, and accommodating. Uh, given certain provisions like when she her, like she basically told him early on you know, I, you can't play games when you need to be hanging out with the kids, which is 100% fair. Like, there's nobody can argue with that. Like, if you're gonna do it, you gotta do it at night. Okay, fine. I don't know that I personally would be as understanding about something that I would consider as again, I, not to be dismissive, but something I would consider as trivial as uh, an arcade game competitive arcade gaming, mm-hmm. if we got you know kids to feed. Yeah. You know what I mean. And I'll be you know be very upfront about the fact that if she's got some kind of hobby, whether it's competitive or not, I would hope he would be as supportive uh, with the t- amount of time that she spends on her own uh hobby and occupation maybe she's one of those people that just doesn't have hobbies there's a lot of people like that they don't necessarily care to do extracurriculars
1: not everyone Uh, has a podcast
0: not everyone's got a podcast um but anyway yeah i I thought that she was a saint for being as accommodating as she was i don't know that i would necessarily do it the same way i i can definitely see myself being more like mike thompson where he's just like yeah that billy mitchell real asshole
1: (laughs) hate that guy we hate him we hate him
0: yeah um no, fair. But anyway, but yeah, I that's uh that's a that's a great question, and yeah, I, I think that she handled it better than I I would and better than I think most people would.
1: Right. But she's also, like
0: I said, the type of like life partner that everyone dreams of having <laughs> that will support you to the bitter end.
1: Nicola's hashtag goals. Yeah. Well, if we can get to your last question that I know you're gonna ask, which is one of one of our favorites.
0: Certainly, yeah. So we've in the past talked about movies getting a remake. Um, Like movies like Clue, for example, getting a remake with a new cast. Well, this is being a true story. If there was a fictionalized adaptation, which apparently there has been one in development hell for years, but I don't think it's ever going to get made. If there was a fictionalized adaptation of this movie, what would be your ideal cast for the main characters?
1: Speaking of a uh, remake, though, I, there's got to be an e-league version of, or like a, a e-sports version of this that's coming out sometime. I
0: would be shocked if there wasn't. I but... would
1: love to see the scripted version. A, a documentary would be cool, too. But like to script that kind of drama, I would be I would be interested.
0: If Billy but... Mitchell's not in the documentary version of this with e-league, I will be upset as Ooh. like as like the Cobra Kai
1: teacher. <laughs> He's teaching e, e- now. He's like switched over. Oh, man. He's following yeah. the money. Um, okay, so Steve, if he's kind of our sympathetic main character, the first person that popped in my head, honestly, and maybe this is just because they look a lot alike, I think, is uh James Gordon.
0: James Gordon.
1: James Gordon. The uh, he's the British talk oh, show yeah. host. Interesting. The, uh huh. car, no, I know. Him. I know him. Yeah, James uh-huh. Gordon. Okay, all right. The other guy that was in my head um, was actually because somebody else made it to this list and then I just followed this this whole trail. Uh, Jimmy Simpson, who is one of the leads from Westworld. Do you watch Westworld? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, Which one is he? He's the guy um, he comes in with uh, what's his name? Ben Barnes who is Prince Caspian from Narnia.
0: Wow, okay. Uh, okay. All right. All right. William? He's,
1: William, yes. yes okay.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The, the, the McPo- kind of McPo- good Poyle.
0: guy. He played McPoyle on uh, Always Sunny.
1: Oh, okay. I'm not a completist on all, yeah, that's Always fine. Sunny. Um, yeah, I feel like he... He's got that kind of, like, sympathetic good guy, kind of down on his luck. Like, that's kind of who he plays in Westworld. Is just that's this true. like He's got a very, like... All shucks, like... He's got a very, like, white hanged on kind of face, it. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could see that. He's... Yeah. I don't know. A lot of British actors were making it to this <laughs> list, but either of them. And... So, uh, yeah, go
0: No, ahead. no, no. Do you have another Steve? Do you have any other Steves? Um,
1: those were my two Steves. But the one thing as I was thinking about casting this is, like, do you age this down? I feel like Hollywood would tend to do that. The people um, that are really going to bring people in the seats, maybe.
0: Maybe, yeah. maybe not. I don't know. Because like I was definitely feeling like with Steve in particular, because he's like, probably like, what, mid to late 30s in this yeah. movie. Yeah. So that's like, that's like prime, still young enough to have pull, but old enough to like be a familiar face kind of a thing. I went with John Krasinski.
1: Oh, John uh, Krasinski. There's no way he's that old, is he?
0: He's got to be in like in his mid 30s. I guess 30s? I
1: was thinking they were all like pushing 40.
0: Well, I think that the, most of the video game guys, I mean other than Walter who's obviously like in his 60s or 70s. Okay, he's 38. Um okay, yeah. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I guess yeah, that's true. They All um, the other
0: guys have got to be like in their 40s, maybe pushing 50.
1: Yeah, like, cuz uh what's his face was born 90 uh Billy was named 63 65, 65 so okay. he's like in his 50s. So he was like well, so this he also, was So he 10 years like that, was a guy. Yeah, so
0: he was not that much older than Steve at the time. He was like probably if he was born in 65, this is 2005, so yeah, he was 40. 40. Oh,
1: okay. okay. All right, all right. Um, all right, John would be a good, uh, yeah, I guess so.
0: Who would be your Billy? This is, and I'll tell you, this is actually the person who jumped to my mind first.
1: Um, oh, okay. Ben Barnes was actually the one who, he's the, he's the mean brother-in-law from Westworld. Oh, man. Prince he had, Caspian from Yeah, Maria. I could see that. He's he's a little too attractive for this role. I think you have to be a little like impotent for lack of a better word to play That's an interesting way to
0: describe someone's face.
1: It just, he's, he carries himself in a way that's like he wants to have power but at the same time knows, like it takes one stiff gust of wind to blow this guy down. So I think it would be interesting to have like Ben Barnes to have that kind of, he has this very like, he's a kind of dark his personality like. is like
0: a more confident billy mitchell in west world right you know? like to
1: scale him down to make him seem less less like oh yeah if this guy walked in the room you would be like this is the alpha now less of that i think that would be interesting yes yeah, you, know, to to, him you, you have to scale bit. him
0: down from that to this guy definitely sees himself as the alpha right he
1: will establish himself as yep. the alpha yep. but he is not one of those people that walks in the room and you're like yep that's him yeah. Like he's number one now
0: my Billy, yeah. and again, this jumped okay. right at me within moments of even just watching the trailer again, Michael Shannon.
1: Michael Shannon.
0: You don't know Michael Shannon? Let me Google.
1: Oh, I, God. I'm a faces person, not a names Clearly
0: person. Clearly Ben Barnes.
1: Yeah. Okay. I had to Google that. I was on i, I was IMDb. Okay. DVD. Oh. Okay. All right. I see it. Um. Let's see. His For per- other listeners that are like me.
0: His performance style, I feel like, is Billy Mitchell to a T or could be. Very I
1: could see that he's he's a little scary for that. He played uh, Elvis and Elvis and Nixon. If you saw a million trailers for that, like I did, I guess I'm just I don't know, cool.
0: He's a he he's a, he's a very chameleon type of actor. Like he does have kind of like a scary face, but honestly, he can he can make himself look very unthreatening in a lot of roles as well. Right.
1: He's got like an a scary face. He's brooding. Just Google him. I can't. There's nothing in here that's like, oh yeah, definitely. Definitely that guy. He's a that guy yeah. actor he's for a that sure, guy. but he's a
0: great actor. He's like he is a, fantastic. He's, a, he's Oscar caliber performances, but See, he's also not a household name.
1: You'd have to find a way though to like make him like there. There's something about Billy that like exactly what we're talking about. Like he he doesn't walk in a room and everyone pays attention. He walks in a room and makes everyone pay attention. I think you
0: put him in that beard and the mullet with the Statue of Liberty necktie and have having <laughs> talk about like Eddie Rickenbacker and the Red Baron and shit like that. Yeah, like, fair. He he oh yeah. he would he would absorb himself into the character Billy Mitchell I think
1: okay alright
0: um, how about uh, how about Walter Walter good old Walter Day Walter the ref Walter Day
1: um, I had Morgan Freeman I think he could have oh. really done it I would love to see him in a kind of a because you don't always know like what we're talking about Walter Day like he could be a bad dude he could be somebody who's I mean, kind of possible, skewing I, I don't I felt like that's how they were setting it up a little bit is like really? he was on Billy's side and well, Billy's side is the bad side he so. he <laughs>
0: See, that's interesting. Okay. I, I didn't I didn't really see it that way. I thought of it more as, like, Billy was just one of, like, the OG crew that um, Walter now trusts Billy enough to verify other people's scores in Even other games. Even when they're games. beating
1: his own score? That's crooked AF.
0: But he wasn't verified. He wasn't... His two records were in Centipede and Donkey Kong, but he isn't, like... He isn't necessarily validating scores in those.
1: I thought he was validating Steve's score.
0: No, 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 no. Are you talking about when they went to investigate the machine? Yeah. No, no, no. They thought, like, the suspicion... And this is where the conspiracy web really started to get woven. The theory was that Billy sent two of his flunkies to go check out the machine because he personally was suspicious, not because he had broken not because he was validating the record okay he, that was like his Watergate thing I guess like trying to doing something crooked to try to uncover something crooked
1: gotcha I thought okay then someone was casting aspersions on the fact that Billy is one of the people that verifies scores
0: yeah yeah because he like he that that's just like one of the things that he does. He's like one of the referees that works for for Walter. But like uh, yeah, Morgan Freeman, I could kind of see that. I feel like he got the same. He he's very much in that vein.
1: Yeah, just kind of sweet, but also like I would like to see him, you know, potentially be crooked. I think you could play that up in like a fictionalized version of this. The other person I had was um, Ed Harris. I just mm. went full down wow. Westworld. I yeah, I think you could play him as like kind of the the kooky old guy.
0: So I. I went a little bit lower key, mm-hmm. uh, or because like Morgan Freeman, I don't feel like ever he's always plays like a sweetheart, but he never is like what I would consider to be the kind of soft spoken guy that mm. uh, that Walter Day is. I went with Steve Carell as oh. based on his what <laughs> the trailer that I saw for the uh, the Last Flag, mm-hmm. the, his performance in that seems very oh, much like. I haven't Walter seen the trailer yet. So anyway, he, he, he's very like understated, very quiet kind of a person. Who's just, like, very agree, Yeah.
1: So you went Office and I went uh, Westworld.
0: (laughs) More or less, yeah. Um, Roy, Mr. Awesome, Schiltz. I had a lot of fun with this one. Yeah, tell me what you have. uh, I went with Seth Rogen.
1: Oh, okay. I can see it.
0: Uh, Seth Rogen playing this guy who was just, like, a total schlub now, but, like, thought he was the hottest shit in town.
1: That would be... I don't feel like Seth Rogen is usually that, like, hot shit.
0: Or another guy from that same general crew, uh, Danny McBride. Oh okay. I could see Danny McBride. Oh, as like a, a very
1: yes. Danny McBride very is the winner for this one. I actually, absolutely. Danny McBride
0: could be a good Billy Mitchell.
1: Oh yeah. I had John C. Riley, and I could also see oh, John C. Riley yeah. as Steve. Actually, John C. Re- oh maybe. Like I can. Yeah. He he does genuine pretty well. Yeah. But yeah, I I could see John C. Riley kind of being that Talladega Knight's, like just an idiot, uh-huh. like just maybe not harmful, but mm-hmm. just kind of an idiot.
0: Yeah. Like, um, Nicole, uh, Nicole Weeby, this was a pretty easy one for me. I don't know about you.
1: Um, no, I, if we were aging down, I would love to see Allison Brie. I feel like she hmm. would be a good Nicole. Okay. Um, yeah, you're right. She'd kind of be a modern day, uh, the woman she played in Mad Men, kind of. Yeah, At least in the yeah. first, the early seasons mm-hmm. when she's kind of that long-suffering wife of a obsessed husband mm-hmm. um Laura Dern was my older if we like kept mm. kept with age I could see her being Laura kind Dern of... I feel like is a little old
0: to play that role is she?
1: I think Laura Dern's like 50 oh maybe I had a, I had trouble figuring out how old these characters yeah, actually were I but I guess yeah they had young kids so yeah fair enough oh she's 50 exactly oh, so yeah alright you know, she what? might be a little old um what about you uh, Oh, or Kristen uh, Wiig that's exactly why <gasps> no I was going to say Kristen Wiig oh, okay yeah, alright
0: um and then my last one I just threw in for fun uh Steve Sanders the uh, lawyer friend of Billy Mitchell's the flunky who uh yeah. the guy who got caught cheating or whatever early on
1: oh right yeah I was like got caught cheating I was like wait what No, what at, happened at the yeah, yeah game, yes
0: where uh-huh.
1: it counts where <laughs> it counts um I didn't what was yours for this I Matt Damon oh he would be
0: I think hilarious yeah
1: role. I could see a Matt Damon of the um uh, what is that one what is that movie called where he's kind of just a schlubby dude who thinks he's like oh, oh, oh shit. the informant the informant yeah. I could see that Matt Damon e, that's a good one that is yeah I could I, see that
0: especially I would love to see him in that one scene where like uh, Steve Sanders shows up at the arcade where um, Steve Wiebe is try- at, near the end mm-hmm. where he meets Steve Wiebe for the first time and they like shake hands and he's, he's, his face is just like oh this guy's actually like super nice <laughs> his, his face tells me that Billy Mitchell told him Steve Weeby's an asshole.
1: Right. Especially that moment at the end. I would love to see that where it's kind of the like, yeah, you know, after meeting him, after meeting his kids, after hanging out with him, I like really like this guy. He's super earnest. No problem. And you just see Billy's face kind of like sour. I would love that moment would have to make it into the the scripted movie. Got
0: to. but yeah, I don't know if anybody else jumped out at you. I didn't have anybody else in my Dreamcast or anything. But no. uh,
1: I mean I after we did this, I think maybe the first time with Clue, like everyone that everyone else suggested <laughs> on social was way better than anyone I thought. <laughs> so please give us your your dreamcast because if means. you've seen this movie, which, you know, it's two ninety nine on YouTube. If you can watch it she, and wait, you paid for it? Yeah. I wait. sent you a link for it for free. Oh no, did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you look for it on YouTube. <laughs> I paid for it twice. You paid for it paid
0: twice. It no wonder you didn't like it. If you watch this movie for free, you probably yeah. Like it you right. know
1: what? It's it's all it in is for free.
0: The Cam Kong. It's the one that is Cam Kong sub on Espanol. It's but it's not actually subbed on Espanol. It's oh. just English. Fuck. Oh, okay.
1: uh, Sorry, yeah. I should read your emails more closely. I guess so. I sent you a link. <laughs> I know you did. You're such a good co. All you had to do was
0: click. Ugh. Anyway. Um, And before we go, uh, I don't have a ton of trivia. We already got into, like, uh, 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 Seth Gordon getting into why he made this movie. He's had an interesting career since this, not so much as a documentarian, but he directed Four Christmases. No way. Horrible Bosses. No way. Identity Thief. Oh, and the Baywatch movie with Zac Efron and The Rock that just oh, came out wow. this
1: year—that everyone, year. literally everyone I have sat next to on a plane for the last like two months has watched that movie. I think I've seen all of that movie silently. So it's it's getting it's getting its place. <laughs> the Identity Thief was written by Craig Mazin, who is one of oh, our podcast hashtag that? goals. So it all circles back. Oh yeah. But okay. Um, wow. Wow. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He also wow. apparently was an executive producer for Pixels. Oh, boy! But, yeah, I um, haven't seen that
1: one. Can't can't cast. You know, can't can't comment. But uh, uh, other, seemed his, bad. His
0: other big documentary was Freakonomics in
1: 2010. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So he's got some uh, he's major got... glow up.
0: Yeah. I,
1: I <laughs> Kyle disagrees. He thinks it's completely on par. I
0: yeah. I honestly I. I'm legitimately surprised by your reaction, but also intrigued by it. And so I think that this is a very interesting discussion. Yeah. I'm bummed that you didn't like it for your sake, because <laughs> I legitimately, like, unabashedly love this movie. And clearly yeah. I'm not alone. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes is with you, so...
0: Yeah. Fans and critics agree. It's, uh... I, I don't know. Just it's, not uh, Kari. Just not Kari. I don't know. Well, What would you consider, like, a better version of this movie? Like, an alternative to this that would be more satisfying to mm. you.
1: uh in content or uh, like the glow documentary which i know we both have seen mm-hmm. that was really solid i think they did a really good job bringing in stories and and you know current interviews the talking heads and footage you know and and kind of the secondary resources I never felt like there was something that they were talking about that I didn't see. So mm. that was a good one. It's not at all content wise. similar, I guess, you know, it kind of is. It's it's, it's a subcultural, you know, not was, everybody got it type yeah, thing. Like there's, so. not as,
0: there's less of a narrative to that, which if you haven't watched it, that one's a good one. It's on, uh, it should still be on Netflix for free is the, not the miniseries glow, which is also excellent, but like the documentary glow, gorgeous ladies of wrestling. It's really good, really interesting, but it's less of it. It is more of, like, a document than a narrative. Would you agree?
1: Sure. I, again, think this one struggled to be a narrative as well. Oh, wow. So.
0: That's, that's so crazy just because... I, I know I've said it a thousand times already, but I feel like the narrative is so clear uh, in this yeah. one. But i We could shocked. spend a whole other
1: hour and we still would disagree. I, so I, I know. And it's, uh,
0: it's a, like I said, I'm just bummed out that you didn't enjoy it as much because I definitely did. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know... if I would definitely say if you like if you enjoy movies like The Karate Kid at least give this one a shot
1: yeah, yeah. it's got good music
0: It's got, it's got it's got good music
1: and sweet Carrie. you know they're sweet mm-hmm. except for Billy fuck him
0: Billy Billy and Mr. Awesome deserve each other ugh anyway both gross <laughs> so gross um but yeah I think that just about covers it that's uh pretty much time Kari any closing thoughts to bring
1: us out um Nothing from me. You okay. have any, I mean, no. I mean,
0: I. I think I've said my piece. You have said your piece. Yeah. Um, I.
1: I wouldn't not recommend it. If you, if this is something that intrigues you, go out and watch it. I don't think it's not worth your time. Just didn't love it. I didn't love it. All right, that's fair. Yeah,
0: I can accept that. Um. So without further ado, Kari, what's up next?
1: So, uh, this film that I have chosen, okay. uh, it's. One of the great comedians of our time... Can't wait. ...taking on an updated Shakespearean classic. Oh. She plays a twin who must impersonate her brother in order to play soccer at an elite private school.
0: This sounds very familiar. Yeah?
1: No guesses?
0: Um, I'm blanking on the name... Mm.
1: You you know it.
0: I, I think I, I think I know it.
1: Kay, have you seen She's the Man?
0: Uh-uh. I have not seen that, but I actually oh. have heard great things and not just from
1: uh Me. You. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's like an it's an Amanda Bynes classic. It's one of her peak.
0: Boy, that's a that's an interesting sentence.
1: Oh, I mean I mean, she had some classics. This is this is one of the top. This one and um shoot I had another one in my head and I totally <laughs> forget what it is but honestly this is probably like the movie she'll be remembered for so interesting and before her tragic demise which I'm still hoping for a bounce back but we'll see
0: you make it sound like she is dead which very She's well she like, might be she by the time not this is released dead
1: no no Amanda you can come back anytime
0: last thing I remember um, from her was the blonde wig in the courtroom thing
1: yeah that yeah was, like, interesting I, day. she just needs to take care of her mental health she self care babe self care um but yeah I'm really excited this is just I I think this is going to be, this is hopefully going to hit a spot with a lot of listeners and stuff as well, where like, hopefully they feel the same way that I do, that this is just a a movie of your adolescence, I guess. Childhood is a little late.
0: And and yeah, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this next week when we get to it, but I've heard great things from, I will say, from people I would not have expected to say great things about this. Ooh,
1: intriguing.
0: uh, We can get into that. Uh, next week but until then thank you so much for joining us on K Have You Seen my name is Kyle I'm Kari and we'll catch you next time
1: see ya